Here it is! From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, just a, a day or so, I'll be in one of the great, hugely enjoyable festival cities of the world, at least at this time of year, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. Sco- Scotland, you see. Uh, where they have, uh, I think, four or five festivals going on in August because that's that's the month when the weather is good. But right now I'm in London on my way there, and the entirety of the United Kingdom, you may not know this because uh, we in the United States have been uh, hung up on <laughs> President Trump, but there's, there's this wrenching, long-running drama, let's say, with, with touches of comedy, but no music, on uh, the subject of Brexit, the uh, impending exit of Britain, hence the uh, portmanteau, thank you, of the uh, Britain from the uh, European Union. And it's it it's all seemed so simple back when people voted on it a couple of years ago. But come March of next year, it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Nobody knows what the it is. There have been these um, start-and-stop negotiations. Uh, the, the Brits have changed their negotiator for a different negotiator. The Europeans have stayed with their guy, Michel Barnier, uh, who basically just keeps saying to uh, every British proposal, uh, no. And the, and the problem for the British government, well, one of the problems for the British government, aside from being the British government, is... People, the British people, by uh, not an overwhelming margin, but an actual margin, voted for something called leave, get out of the European Union. Didn't really have many, many, much flesh on the bone, you see. And on the other hand, there are all these uh, experts, of course, like the vote for (laughs) President Trump, the vote for Brexit was in some ways a vote against experts. But the experts are saying, Hold on. Disaster. Lost jobs. Lost uh, income. GDP plunging. Figure out some way not to have this happen. So the British government is trying to do that while at the same time not being accused of betraying the voters who voted in in the referendum. Very unusual for the Brits to have a referendum referendum. And this is probably one reason why. So right this week, as I arrived here, the talk was of a backup plan, a backup plan for no deal. That is to say, Britain and the European Union do not come to an agreement, but by terms of uh, Article 50 of the European Union treaty, Britain crashes, crashes out of the EU next March. So no deal, nothing. Okay. Now, all the food, you know, they don't grow. Well, they, there's, there are farms here, of course. There's a farm show on BBC. But Britain imports a lot of food. And so the, the discussion this week has been, um, are you stockpiling? <laughs> uh, have you built any warehouses, climate-controlled warehouses? Um, well, there are plans. We can't say what the plans are. That's a that's a tell. So, um, you know, as of next March, come on over for the uh, the culture, the history, 
but uh, don't plan on eating. Hello, welcome to the show. They'll change the thing where you you can't fly in with your own food. That would from London, England. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. And first to Canada. I said Canada. The Canadian environmental group, not a government group, wants the United Nations agency to warn the Canadian government about the possible impact of holding winter Olymp- Olympic events in Banff National Park. 
The Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society has written a letter to UNESCO saying ski events at Lake Louise, Tom? Uh, that would be Lake Louise. Yes, could threaten the values that have made the park a World Heritage Site. Feasibility study presented to Calgary City Council, which is considering bidding for the 2026 Winter Games, suggests Lake Louise should be considered as a venue for ski speed events. Concerns have been raised about how the park would be affected by the crowds attending the races as well as by grandstands, media facilities, and other required infrastructure. Lake Louise is still in the mix, according to the bid committee. Banff is part of the Canadian Mountain Park's World Heritage Site. Rugged mountain peaks, ice fields and glaciers, alpine meadows, lakes, waterfalls, extensive karst cave systems, and deeply incised canyons, Canadian Rocky Mountain Parks possess exceptional natural beauty, according to UNESCO. Yeah, but a, a grandstand would be... UNESCO monitors its sites and can request member nations to report on them and ways to fix problems. The letter says Banff is already overloaded with visitors and as much infrastructure there as it can stand. The scale, scope, and cachet the Olympic Games have will greatly and inevitably exacerbate the pressures and impacts the park is already challenged with. It's according to the letter, which points to a Parks Canada assessment in 2016 suggesting Banff's ecosystems already are only in fair condition. By the way, Lake Louise holds regular World Cup ski races. Might look at those. Meanwhile, over in Tokyo, two years to go till the 2020 Olympic Games, the Japanese capital is hoping to use the Games as motivation to improve its environmental sustainability. Tokyo Governor Yuriko Koike has made lowering emissions and plastic litter prevention some of her main objectives in charge of the Games. <laughs> we'll see about that. Koike is hopeful the Games can spur a change and make Japan more sustainable. As one example, the Olympic Village will be powered by hydrogen energy following the Games and will contribute to our goal of a smart energy city. Japan joined the United States in not signing the Ocean Plastics Charter earlier this year. I didn't even know about that, did you? Koike is determined Tokyo will play a leading role in the battle against plastic pollution. Don't bring your plastic to the Olympics. And when the International Olympic Committee approved the calendar for uh, the events of the Tokyo Olympics, 339 events, the schedule remained undecided for just one sport, swimming. The uh, Swimming Organizing Committee were hoping for the final events to be sometime in the evening or later, out of consideration for swimmers' physical conditions. The IOC, on the other hand, insisted the events must take place in the morning, which aligns with prime time on major television networks in the United States. A long negotiation was expected, but on July 19th, the World Body of National Swimming Associations announced it was agreeing with the morning time. The turnaround is symbolic of the reality of the Games. Money from television networks has considerable sway. Because the Olympics, it's a TV show. No, it's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, just like that, news of our friend, the Atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, save, too safe to meet. Save, save, too safe to meet. 
Oh, we're at this time of year again. This will sound familiar to you because it's happened the last couple of years, and you've heard about it on this program. The, the model of nuclear power plant that is in wide use around, around the world is uh, water-cooled. You have to take a lot of water from a nearby body of water, run it through the plant to cool, keep the plant running cool, and then expel the water again. Now it's heated and possibly, you know, irradiated. But we got a lot of water, don't we? Yes, and this is the summertime. And so over in Finland, the Lovisa power plant, two reactors, one gigawatt, had to reduce power by 170 megawatts this week because the seawater used to cool it was too warm. Too warm to cool the plant, you see. Because of the very warm temperatures the Nordic region is currently experiencing, the seawater collected to cool the reactors. It was 90 degrees, the water. In Finland, off of the coast of Finland, ladies and gentlemen. That's releasing hot water back to the sea after cooling the reactors could be a hazard. If it exceeds 93, the reactors must be shut down due to those damn regulations may uh, happen again in the next days because of the unusually warm temperatures up here in northern Europe. London just got over a a quite amazing heat wave, ended with uh, a very New Orleans-like two hours of incredibly heavy thunder and rain. High seawater temperature may indeed reduce the efficiency of the cooling systems of the plant, said uh, the nuclear safety section head at Finland's Nuclear regulator, S-T-U-K. Yes, that spells stuck. What's your point? In Germany, they, we, they were warned last week that higher temperatures next month may create cooling issues for that country's reactors. Output has been cut slightly from two reactors already. Sweden's nuclear energy regulator, SSM, no, that doesn't spell anything, told Reuters that power production at the Forsmark nuclear plant has also been reduced. Last time that had to happen was seven years ago. But on the other hand, unusually warm and dry weather in the Nordics led temperatures to record highs, affecting water levels at the reservoirs that feed Norway and Sweden with hydropower. Prices spiked as a result. So um, appears to be no way out. Oh, there's the sun. Uh, Nobody seems to... Nobody seems keen, that is, to buy the partially built VC summer nuclear plant in South Carolina. Now the state's biggest power provider is trying to sell off the equipment. Want a nuke plant? It could be fun. If you're near water, it's cool enough. No other utilities have shown interest in purchasing part or all of the construction project, says the interim chief executive officer of Santee Cooper. The The board declared the equipment is surplus property. Santee Cooper and its partner, Scana Corporation, pulled the plug in the project a year ago after costs ballooned, ballooning's fun, oh, to more than $20 billion and put the two half-done reactors on the block. Well, you, you, Two half-done reactors totaled one. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It's scrap. It's nuclear scrap. And, ladies and gentlemen, another uh, data point for my theory that when you get right down to it, HOMO is not sapiens. Deadline Tokyo, the operator of the crippled Fook plant, you'd think, you know, if you've been through Fook, you might um, 
You might learn a little bit about safety. No, TEPCO is rated poorly over drills that assume a a severe accident at a nuclear plant happens. That's according to Japan's nuclear watchdog this week. The report showed none of three nuclear power plants operated by TEPCO received the highest marks on a three-grade scale for the performance of plants in information, information sharing with the watchdog. Information sharing, you see, the time of a disaster would be a thing. The Nuclear Regulation Authority and major utilities, including TEPCO, conducted drills at each site during last fiscal year through March on the assumption that the cooling of an atomic reactor has stopped. Well, that could never happen. Oh, the results of their drills were discussed this week. The regulator, oddly enough, deems information sharing is the most important item out of the nine-point evaluation. A lack of information sharing is said to be one of the factors that worsened the 2011 Fook disaster, you see. A member of the watchdog criticized TEPCO's performance, calling it, quote, unforgivable that the operator which caused the nuclear disaster had a low rating. Unquote. Homo is not sapiens. Clean, cheap. Too ill-informed to meet her, our friend the Atom. And speaking of lessons not learned, news of the warm. Won't you? I know I will. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Long-standing technology troubles at FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, could get in the way of the organization's disaster response efforts. They tell us just as hurricane season has gotten underway last month. This is from nextgov.com. This, according to the Homeland Security Department's Inspector General. FEMA's outdated information technology, that's a good idea, impedes the agency's ability to integrate systems across mission functions, to manage disaster funds, uh to share information, there we go again, with emergency management partners, like local police, and coordinate disaster response efforts. That's according to John Kelly, not the president's chief of staff. This is another John Kelly. Two John Kellys in the federal government? Go figure. He's performing the duties of the inspector general at DHS. I don't know if that means he actually isn't the inspector general. We're all performers, John. The shoddy tech infrastructure creates numerous delays in day-to-day operations, he says. It limits how quickly the agencies can scale up to respond to major disasters. That's the thing we all want to do in this day and age, isn't it? To scale up. I know it's what all the tech companies want. Let's all scale up right now. Come on. We can do it. Employees are frequently left to create manual workarounds to conduct critical emergency response efforts. And Kelly says that wastes considerable time and money. Otherwise, it's a good idea. The... uh, Inspector General previously reported many of the existing issues to FEMA. Officials have yet to take action on the majority of the watchdog's recommendations, some of which date back to just after the New Orleans flood and Hurricane Katrina. Many major disasters over the past number of years exposed numerous limitations to FEMA's IT infrastructure and system capabilities, Kelly told the Congress. Until FEMA provides the IT systems and capabilities needed to meet the demands posed by emergency management... Timely response and recovery from disasters will be hindered, and the risk of delays in providing assistance and grants will be increased. 
The uh, inspector general attributes FEMA's technological shortcomings to insufficient IT management. The agency is missing a strategic plan to guide IT programs and modernization efforts. Officials generally don't know what what technologies they have at their disposal, Kelly said. What's this button? What does this one do? How do I I send an email? He added, FEMA's chief information officer doesn't have the authority to guide enterprise-wide tech projects. The agency also largely lacks a governance process to guide IT acquisitions, meaning who signs this? And meanwhile, at a secret agency very near you, the National Security Agency's Inspector General, wow, issued a rare report this week condemning the administration for insufficiently protecting data gathered from U.S. citizens. What's his next job going to be? A semi-annual report issued to Congress details many instances of non-compliance by NSA personnel dealing with rules meant to protect computer networks and data. Other issues of non-compliance at the NSA, ladies and gentlemen, included flash drives not being scanned for viruses before being used by staff, don't tell the Russians, as well as inaccurate or incomplete security plans. Those plans again. Damn those plans. None of the violations. <laughs> You'll be glad to know that despite the uh, the tremors you may have felt at hearing things like flash drives not being scanned for viruses before being used by staff, none of the violations warranted immediate reporting to the NSA's inspector, sorry, the NSA's director or Congress, according to the inspector general, even though it revealed significant problems and deficiencies within the agency. Carry on, then. Never mind. I'll just file this. News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. More, more general than Inspector, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to suspect. But let's round out this first half of the program with some news of the godly. We've talked on this program in this segment about Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. He was the former Archbishop of Washington, D.C., a prominent diplomat, a cardinal. The the diplomat was a cardinal. It sounds like a 40s movie and the center of a mushrooming sexual abuse scandal dating back decades. Well, the news this week is he's resigned, according to the Vatican. He presented his resignation as a member of the College of Cardinals. The Pope has accepted his resignation and ordered his suspension from any public ministry. The cardinal would remain in seclusion for a life of prayer and penance until the accusations made against him are examined in a regular canonical trial. They're going to bring out the canon. The uh, cardinal was removed from public ministry in June after an investigation found credible accusations that he had himself sexually abused a teenager 47 years ago while serving as a priest in New York. Some in the church hierarchy, according to the New York Times, had known for decades about accusations that he had prayed with an E, with two E's actually, on several men who wanted to become priests, sexually harassing and touching them. I was helping them to become a... No. At least one man said he was abused by the cardinal when he was a New Jersey bishop in the 1980s. Well, New Jersey... The Times investigation discovered settlements amounting to tens of thousands of dollars over the years paid to men who had made allegations of abuse 
against Father McCarrick, who was then a, a rising star in the Catholic Church. I didn't know they have a star system. The Cardinal was a star. The star was a Cardinal. Cardinal McCarrick's resignation is the first since uh, 1927. The relevant point is he's no longer a Cardinal, said a Vatican spokesman. He is the first Cardinal in living memory to lose his red hat and title. The red hat, you know, was bad, but the title, I guess, hurts more. And it's not just children, and it's not just other priests. It's nuns, according to the Associated Press. A nun had a, an Italian priest forced himself on her while she was her most vulnerable. She was recounting her sins to him in a university classroom 20 years ago. I pretended it didn't happen, she told the Associated Press. She was silenced by the Catholic Church's culture of secrecy, her vows of obedience, and her own fear, repulsion, and shame. She's one of a handful worldwide to come forward recently on an issue the Catholic Church has yet to come to terms with, the sexual abuse of religious sisters by priests and bishops. Just when you thought, yeah. The AP has found cases emerging in Europe, Africa, South America, and Asia, demonstrating the problem is global and pervasive, thanks to the universal tradition of sisters' second-class status in the Church and their ingrained subservience to the men who run it. It's a system. Some nuns are now speaking out, buoyed by the Me Too movement. None too. And the growing recognition that adults can be victims of sexual abuse in situations where there's an, an imbalance of power in a relationship. Just ask Harvey Weinstein. He didn't... I, I haven't heard of him and nuns, but trial yet to come. The sisters are going public in part because of years of inaction by church leaders, even after major studies on the problem in Africa were reported to the Vatican way back in the 1990s. The extent of the abuse of nuns is unclear, at least outside the Vatican. Victims are reluctant to report the abuse because of well-founded fears. They won't be believed, experts told the AP. Church leaders are reluctant to acknowledge that some priests and bishops simply ignore their vows of celibacy. But it's that's their the vows. They're like marriage. Oh, knowing their secrets will be kept. About a dozen sisters, sorry, half a dozen sisters, or a dozen half sisters, I guess, would be, no, it's half a dozen sisters in a small religious congregation in Chile went public on national television. There's good viewing with their stories of abuse by priests and other nuns and how their superiors did nothing to stop it. Meanwhile, in India, a nun recently filed a formal police complaint accusing a bishop of rape, something that would have been unthinkable even a year ago. Cases in Africa come up periodically. In 2013, a well-known priest in Uganda wrote a letter to his superiors that mentioned priests romantically involved with religious sisters, for which he was promptly suspended from the church until he apologized. That'll make you feel welcome. A retired Australian Catholic priest convicted of indecently assaulting three boys is being punished by the church. Oh, no, he's still being financially supported by the church. It's even provided him with a new car. Robert Francis Flaherty was five years ago convicted of the assaults, which took place in the 70s and 80s. He uh, openly made admissions about two of the attacks, claiming that uh, a 14- or 15-year-old boy had consented to uh, the touching. He was an altar boy. 
There may have been mutual touching, said Flaherty, nothing else. The Catholic Church is continuing to pay for Flaherty's Kia and for his other bills in his retirement. His uh, explanation for that incident that he talked about on television, at the time my mother was in palliative care and my father had just died, so it was a time of life when, you know, I was gone, unquote. Second assault took place 10 years later. Didn't have the same excuse. Boy was aged between 14 and 15. So it's a thing. Flaherty claimed he was covering the fellow up against the chill of the night when he touched him on the outside of his pants. That was just carelessness, he said. Lack of judgment, lack of self-control. He says uh, the church paying his bills as standard practice would apply to any retired priest's the third of Flaherty's victims, who was also an altar boy at the time, said he was flabbergasted by the fact that the church was still paying. That altar boy was assaulted by Flaherty. While he slept, woke up as the assault was being carried out. Flaherty told him the church would believe the priest over an eight-year-old boy. The Catholic Archdiocese of Sydney says it seeks to minimize the risk to the community once pedophile priests have served their sentence. Spokeswoman said research showed offenders who were supported, here's your Kia, and monitored were less likely to reoffend. Churches also financially supporting two other priests convicted of sexual abuse. There's your retirement plan right there. And Chile is now investigating 158 members of the country's embattled Catholic church both clergymen and lay people, for perpetrating or concealing the sexual abuse of children and adults. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. I want to pray today, will you be my boss? Will you be my boss? I can. Will you be my boss? Change. You get bounced up and down, get past the pound. Somehow I got to slice it up, dice it up, serve it up nice. Will you be 
closet down the hall Stuffed inside the pocket of a tweed Will you be my ball pot, buddy? Will you be my ballroom queen? I wanna play today Will you be my ball? From newly tropical London town This is Le Show And um, big, big This this gets redundant A big week for President Trump, some uh, good economic figures uh, that he could brag about. Uh, some of them a bit asterisked, that is to say, uh, some soybean exports that rose. Uh, certain experts, I'm sorry, fast talking guy from out of town, experts say that's because uh, they were trying to uh, get those soybeans out of here. Before the tariffs kick in, kick in. That's um, in the economics trade called a sugar high, won't last long. But other stuff too, of course. The uh, one of the big stories, the uh, revelation that Michael Cohen, <laughs> President Trump's uh, longtime lawyer and fixer. Well, you got to have a lawyer fixer, you know, just a lawyer can't fix it. Uh, my, uh, Michael Cohen was prepared to tell the special prosec- special yeah, counsel, Robert Mueller, that Trump did, can, then candidate Trump did know about the notorious Trump Tower meeting in July of 2016 before it took place. Now, I, I'm, I'm one of those people who has to remind you because the <laughs> major media seem to have forgotten we don't have on the public record yet any indication that any Russian promised dirt on Hillary Clinton at that meeting. What we have on the public record is that Rob Goldstone, a music publicist who worked for a Russian rock star that Trump had met in the Miss Universe contest in 2013. Rob Goldstone had been tasked by the music star and his dad to get uh, somebody from the Trump administration to meet with this Russian lawyer. And it was Goldstone who promised dirt on Hillary Clinton. When they got to the meeting, according to everybody present so far, the lawyer discussed the Magnitsky Act, which was passed by the Congress to retaliate for uh, the, the apparent killing, uh, murder of uh, Mr. Magnitsky, a lawyer who had discovered, oh my God, corruption in Russia. And in retaliation to that, the Russian government prohibited the United States uh, citizens from further adoptions of Russian children, which is probably why Russian adoptions was the cover story for the meeting originally. Anyway, I just have to parenthesize that because nobody apparently remembers it. Uh, so yes, Michael Cohen made that uh, statement this week. Of course, one of the uh, tapes did become public this week, a conversation between then-candidate Trump and uh, Michael Cohen in October of 2016 when the subject of payoffs to a Playboy model, a, a payoff to a Playboy model, you don't need to pay more than once, apparently. I think that's the system. Uh, were discussed, and the question was, did Trump say pay her with cash or don't pay her with cash? So that was a big debate this week. Acoustic experts were were called in. I did some cleaning up of the tape myself, but... Didn't prove much either way. Meantime, Trump's new 
head of communications, Bill Shine, who was head of, who was a, a major executive at Fox News until he was forced out in the wake of the sexual allegations against Fox News chief Roger Ailes. Uh, that, that happened last year. That Shine has just joined the administration. Uh, he had um, announced on Thursday a ban. Well, somebody in his office had had told Caitlin Collins, a report, uh, White House reporter for CNN, that she could not attend a press conference between the president and uh, <laughs> President Trump and uh, the head of the European Commission, Mr. Juncker, uh, because she had shouted questions at the president the previous day at a uh, at a press availability. You know, they have a photo op and the press is in the room and then they heard the photographers and the reporters out. And she had shouted some questions, a, a couple of questions at the president during that herd out, much like Sam Donaldson used to do to Ronald Reagan. But, you know, this is different. So she was disinvited to this uh, press conference, this very important press conference with the president and the head of the EU. And Bill Shine said, it's not a ban. Ask her if, she, if, if we ever use the word ban because she was just disinvited. That's all. It's no, no ban, no thing. Also in Trump world this week, the, president, <laughs> the president's daughter, Ivanka, announced that she was closing down her clothing and shoe line, her fashion lines. Uh, the stuff was made in, uh, it was made in, no, it wasn't made in America. And um, s- several department so- store chains had stopped carrying her line. The president in a uh, tweet had actually denounced the Nord- Nordstrom chain for treating her unfairly. Sad. It's one way of putting it. Oh, and uh, the special counsel's office announced this week that uh, not that they were accepting Michael Cohen's offer. You don't usually make offers to testify to special counsels or pro- uh, prosecutors of any kind in public. Uh, but he did announce, his office did announce, that he was subpoenaing Alan Weiselberg, who has been uh, Trump's CFO and accountant pretty much since he got out of, out of college a guy who uh, people in the know say he's really in the know. He may not know where the bodies are buried, but he sure knows where the dollars are. So uh, that all sounds kind of like this. This week, for the first time, some of the teams are showing signs of fatigue. But for the businessman turned chief executive, there's no reverse gear. There may be no gears at all. Bill. Mr. Trump? This is our first face-to-face since you joined the comms team. To run it. That's right. Just to just double-check it. Bunch of people in that job before you. Yes, sir. I uh, dealt with all of them in my old job at Fox. Yeah. Then you were at the receiving end. Now, you're at the point of the sphere. Yes, I am. Better side to be on, right? Better to be pitching than catching? <laughs> you bet, sir. More manly, right? <laughs> Speaking of which, you caught some of that uh, full-figured action at the reception desk? I'm older, sir, but uh, not too old to notice that. <laughs> she's, uh, as we used to say at Fox, she's uh, hotter than Bill O'Reilly's loofah stand. Let me tell you this. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> It just refers to his habit. Okay, look. Anyway, just in case you're taping, 
This is an equal opportunity workplace, okay? Yes, sir. Your chances with her are as good as anyone else's, right? We'll soon find out. Okay. Now, so, uh, how's Operation Pivot from Helsinki going? That's your deal, right? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, two news cycles on your Iran tweet. We do think all caps help to uh, galvanize media attention. Great. Because I think it looks stronger anyway without those little letters. Mm-hmm. Two news cycles on banning the CNN gal from the press conference with the uh, EU guy, including one cycle about my contesting the use of the word ban. I didn't see much of you on TV. Um, there was one little clip. Okay. Because, you know... Some people on your team might get jealous if you show up on cable news too much. Codename Kellyanne. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, mentions of Helsinki, of course, spiked when uh, Putin had his press conference. Yeah. What's his deal? He better not be dicking around with me or I'll hold a press conference the likes of which he's never seen. I, I do think going after Michael Cohen has legs. Okay, good. Because his lawyer, this Davis guy, you know, he worked for the Clintons. I could spill the beans on him really good. You know, I'd, I'd advise on holding back on the beans for now. I, I, I don't think we need to go full bean yet. Okay. I get the feeling you're ready for a really big task this week. <laughs> Raring to go, sir. My wife's all ready to tweet, too. That's your problem. I, so look, your task for this week involves that CNN gal that keeps shouting questions at me. Kate? Kateman? Caitlin. Caitlin. Okay. We can't keep banning her because it wasn't really a ban. Mm-hmm. So your task this week is to keep her from shouting questions at me. Enough with the shouting, okay? <laughs> it won't be easy, sir. It wasn't easy for the five people who had your friggin' job before you. So? Like I told Roger Ailes when the wolves were circling, I eat wolves for breakfast. Sheesh. I have trouble keeping down steak and eggs. Ivanka. Morning. I'm so sorry about your fashion line. I know. I mean, I'm sure. I don't know, but I think I probably know. Good. Because, you know, between the rallies and the phone calls... So, I'm, I'm glad you made time for me today. Good. Because you're still a very valued member of the home team. Maybe the most valued, okay? I mean, I'd say you've earned it, but uh, really you were born into it. But that's okay, right? Yes, sir. What was it with your fashion thing? People didn't want to buy stuff made in China anymore? That's like a good thing, right? I know you don't want to hear this, but what my executives were saying is a a lot of negative reaction to the name. Uh Uh-huh. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. And I do feel kind of responsible because I let your mother call you Ivanka. I wanted Donalda. But look, you've got a big task this week. Yeah, I've, I've got a parental leave forum in Grand Rapids. Oh, but... little Jared can do that. This is big stuff, honey. And I need somebody who's big time eye candy to handle it. Oh, Dad. I need you to go out and say that all the children and immigrants have been reunited. You do women and children. This is women and children. Okay. And have they been? Been what? Reunited. My people tell me that all the ones who could be, have been. I can tell you that. If you want more of a briefing, I guess General Kelly can set one up. I think he's still breathing. What about Kristen on the Homeland Security team? She's a blonde woman. Ah, have you seen her on TV? You're colder than a Burger King shake. It's you, honey. Your task. Your thing. Can you do it? 
You know, I had to close down the shoe line, too. Great. So you need something big to do, right? <laughs> right. Alan? Alan Weiselberg? Yes, sir. Hello, Mr. Trump. I heard you got, uh, subpoenaed by the witch hunt. <laughs> yes, sir, just got it. The guy slipped it in under... I don't care what he slipped. Listen, Alan, not a lot of time. Oh, I don't have to meet with them until next... I mean, this episode is running long. Look, you were a little pisser, fresh out of your friggin' cap and gown. Who gave you your start? You did, sir. And who kept promoting you like you were like the Warren Buffett of the East Coast or something? Well, that'd be again you, sir. And when all the Schmendricks and Goombas were banging down our doors and the Gracie Mansion piles refused to stay fixed, who's down there in the bunker with me? Well, I was certainly doing late hours in the office during those times. Damn right. So, you got a little task this week, Alan. As the longest-serving member of the smallest team, the A-plus team, I call it. Yes, sir. It's a little thing called dummy up. What do you think? Slippery Bob Muller wasn't the guy who rescued you from grad school in Podunk, was he? <laughs> no, sir. Mm -hmm. Okay, Alan. You don't need to answer me. I'll take your silence for a yes. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're gonna make Ivanka's brand great again! Now, the world is his boardroom. The Presidentus. This week, anything else is just fake reality. We had so much news of the warm, had to divide it into two parts. Here's, here's, the, re here's the rest of the story this week. The frequency of lethally hot weather is increasing as is the duration of high-risk heat. These are f grim reminders of a report published late last year by climatists from Columbia's Earth Observatory, reporting that considering the present climate change trajectory, heat stress could exceed human endurance by the end of the century. So let's not live that long. The conditions we're talking about basically never occur now. People in most places have never experienced them, said the lead author but they're projected to occur close to the end of the century. Closer at hand, carbon dioxide emissions are killing off coral reefs and kelp forests, as you know. Writing in scientific reports, researchers say that three centuries of industrial development have already had a marked effect of our, on our seas, but if CO2 levels continue to rise as predicted, the coming decades and lowering seawater pH levels, acidification of the ocean, will have an even greater and potentially catastrophic impact. This follows a comprehensive study of the effects of recently discovered volcanic CO2 seeps off an island in Japan, which is on the border of the temperate and tropical climates. So they've had the experience of seeing what rising CO2 levels affect future ecology. Many people cling to the hope corals will be able to spread north. Therefore, says uh, the lead author, it's extremely worrying to find that as a result of this study, tropical corals are so vulnerable to ocean acidification this will stop them from being able to spread further north and escape the damage caused by water that is too hot for them. They could grow legs. I'm just saying. A global biodiversity collapse is imminent unless we take urgent concerted action to reverse species loss in the tropics. That's according to a major scientific study in the journal Nature. In the paper, an international team has warned that a failure to act quickly and decisively... Yeah... Right. Will greatly increase the risk of unprecedented and irrevocable species loss in the most diverse parts of the planet. 
is the first high-level report on the state of all four of the world's most diverse tropical ecosystems, forests, savannas, lakes, rivers, lakes and rivers, and coral reefs. The authors found that although the tropics cover just 40% of the planet, they're home to more than three-quarters of all species, almost all shallow-water corals, more than 90% of the world's breed species. Most of these species are found nowhere else. Millions more are as yet unknown to science. At the current rate of species description, 20,000 new species a year, it can be estimated at least 300 years will be necessary to catalog all the biodiversity, and they go bye-bye in the meantime. Many species facing the double jeopardy of being harmed by both local human pressures, fishing and logging, and droughts or heat waves linked to climate change. Even many small songbirds are at risk of imminent global extinction due to their capture for the pet trade in Southeast Asia. The rainforests where they live are increasingly falling silent, said the leader of the study. The declining health of tropical ecosystems also threatens the well-being of millions of people. Oh, yeah, there are people, too. Coral reefs provide fish resources and coastal protection for up to 200 million people. And forests and savannas store 40% of the carbon in the terrestrial biosphere and support rainfall in some of the world's most important ag regions. We need to uh, change our efforts to support sustainable development and efficient conservation interventions to preserve and restore the tropical habitats that have been the home and last refuge for the overwhelming majority of the Earth's biodiversity for millions of years. I'm going to get right on that. So is everybody else. The author said the fate of the tropics will largely be determined by what happens elsewhere on the planet. He's looking at us. Just as humans rely on their sense of smell to detect suitable food and habitats, avoid danger and find potential mates... (laughs) Yeah, so do fish. Instead of smelling scent molecules through the air, they use their nostrils to sense chemicals suspended in the water. Fish will start losing their ability to detect different smells by the end of this. I don't want, you know, this end of the century is not sounding good. By the end of the century, if atmospheric carbon dioxide levels keep rising, according to a study published in Nature Climate Change. For fish, the sense of smell is particularly important when visibility is not great, said an author. You know, like down deep. Um, When exposed to elevated levels of carbon dioxide, the fish had to be about 42% closer to an odor odor source to detect it, making it harder for them to notice food or predators. They didn't swim as much. In some cases, they didn't move for more than five seconds at a time. Well, what's over there? In addition, the data showed that elevated carbon dioxide affected the expression of genes in the nose and brain of the fish. The study focused on sea bass. It's applicable to other kinds of fish, said the author. Smelling like fish has a whole different meaning. The Netherlands is going through a heat wave this week, much like the rest of Northern Europe. Several councils, city councils, have chosen a novel way to stop roads from melting. They're salting them, just like they do when it snows. News of the war. One more time. And now, the apologies of the week. We won't even wait for Paul this time. Wells Fargo apologized on Friday to customers who were having issues with their bank accounts after getting a stream of complaints on social media about checks not clearing or deposits not working. We apologize to our customers who may be experiencing an issue with certain type of transactions. Wells Fargo's Twitter account said... 
If you're impacted, please check here for updates. Wells Fargo, just one more time apologizing. They're getting good at it. The New York Times travel cover feature about retreats and sanctuaries received numerous complaints. Found the piece dismissive of Latino culture and portrayed the city in a cliched way. We want to assure readers, says the Times, that was absolutely not our intention. The writer of the recent travel story apologized for calling causing offense. Dan Harmon, the co-creator of Rick and Morty and creator of Community, deleted his Twitter account this week after a disturbing 2009 video surfaced online, resurfaced. The video broke out toward the end of the weekend when Harmon was at Comic-Con, partaking in a drunken fake radio show-style discussion with fellow Rick and Morty creator. He deleted his social media account soon after in a statement provided by his publicist, Harmon apologized for the video. I made a pilot which strove to parody the series Dexter and only succeeded in offending, he said. I quickly realized the content was way too distasteful and took it down immediately. Nobody should ever have to see what you saw, and for that, I sincerely apologize. The uh, video started off with a uh, Harmon's character breaking into a house and simulating rape on a baby doll. It's not the first time he's taken part in what somewhat called creepy behavior. He was called on on Twitter this year by a co-writer for sexually harassing her on set, which he then apologized for on his podcast. I want to say I did it by not thinking about it, and I got away with it by not thinking about it, he said on the podcast. Michael Valor, founder of a North Carolina-based digital ad agency, Valor Media, has issued a series of apologies on social media following reports about a tweet his shop posted to promote client Z-Burger. It featured an image from a video released by ISIS in 2014 that depicted an American journalist moments before his execution. It still had been altered to include the line, When you say you want a burger and someone says, Okay, let's hit McDonald's, along with an image of a burger and the line, You disgrace me. The tweet was deleted within the hour. It was created and published by Valor Media without expected oversight by Valor's managers. No one at Z-Burger saw it before it went live. A series of apologies followed. This is a nightmare, said Michael. A Romanian minister apologized this week for having compared the incineration of dead pigs infected with African swine fever to the Auschwitz concentration camp. I respect all the members of the Jewish community. Clarify, I only wish to describe the difficult situation facing Romanian breeders. The man behind the controversial PewDiePie character on YouTube, Felix Kelberg, has apologized again talking about the stress YouTube creators feel about having to continually top themselves and the unhealthy obsession with numbers that developed over time. But then he uh, posted a, an insensitive meme making fun of Demi Lovato's recent drug overdose. He said it was incredibly in- insensitive. He apologized and claimed to not fully know about the situation. That always helps when you're talking to the public, not really knowing. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time. Well, I'll I'll be here at the same time. You can check in whenever your audio device of choice makes it available to you on the radio or on podcast by demand. You know, you it, it's it's all up to you now. Don't look at me. And it'd be just like not looking at me if you'd agree to join with me then, will you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always. I'm choking up even thinking about the, the thanks, how grateful I am. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's broadcast or podcast. Whatever this, whatever I just cast. The email address for this program. The playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Get them before Labor Day, or you'll have to get them after Labor Day. All at harryshare.com. And the strangest thing, I'm still on Twitter. At the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London Town.